Hey there. Driving in your car, listening to our podcast. Welcome. How do you do it, partner? Okay. Ah. So, um, sanctified really just has the idea of being set apart. It's, it's, it's a cognate with the word holy. But again, we only use holy in religious context. Holy just means set apart. So it can be ethical set-apartedness. So God is holy ethically, but like the shovel that you would shovel the ash from the altar is a holy shovel, and it's not a morally special shovel. It's a shovel you don't dig any other types of holes for. It's set aside for that task. That's the root idea of holy or other, different, set-apart. So Jesus is set-apart and sanctified through his suffering, and we are sanctified. And the author of Hebrews is saying because both he and the children are sanctified from the same source, from the same father. That ties in again with his, his um, identifying with and uniting with us. There's commonality between us that the incarnation makes possible. That, that's kind of the idea. Don, hold on. No, 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 no. Microphone. Is it uh, inherent in the word or is it from the d- different context in which the sanctification is used that there's a setting apart from and a setting apart to? It, it's all going to be context. It's all, the the, the uh, Greek's just going to be forms of hagios, okay. um, which is going to be holy. We get holy from usage is going to be de- de- determining. Um, and so here, Jesus, so, so if we're looking in Hebrews 2, um, the context here is starting in verse 10. It was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things existed in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. So Jesus is being set apart through suffering. He's, he's sanctifying, sanctified through in this context the crucif- I mean, the entire incarnation slash crucifixion, all culminating. And then we are being sanctified through the same source from the same, from the same Father. This is God's plan is to sanctify his Son, not making him holy, but setting him apart. He already was holy. We're being sanctified in him, absolutely being made holy. Does that make sense? So in one sense, it's being used differently for Jesus than for us. For us, there is a cleansing, made holy picture taking place. For Jesus, he's being set further and further apart. He's not being made more and more morally pure. He's not being refined in that sense. He's being singled out, and he is being isolated, in a sense, on the cross, ultimately. You, you look and can push back, Don. Push back. Um, I wasn't thinking so much about Christ as, as, as in our sanctification. We are set apart from sin to, to, yeah. to, to God. Uh, uh, it's a uh, setting apart from right and it's setting apart to yeah it, it's all how you want to look at it. if you want to look at here's a group of people and god plucks somebody out now you're being sanctified out of something right. or you're being dedicated to christ and his use now we're looking at what you're being sanctified to yeah it's it's all going to be context and usage both ideas just like repentance and faith you're turning from you're turning to same same idea yeah, yeah i had a question of my own uh, oh. um in what sense does Satan have the power of death? He has power of death. In what sense does Satan have power over death? Of? Let's, let's, read, the, let's read the actual word in Hebrews here. 
Um, he might that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. He says later, well, 1 Corinthians, the power of death is sin, and the, the power of sin is the law. Satan um, has control ethically over his sons and daughters. This is Jesus' categories, right? John 8. And so to the degree that Satan is able to make his sons and daughters walk in darkness and walk in sin, the power of death is raining down on those people. He's not the lawgiver. He's not the law enforcer. But because he has influence over, um, back in Ephesians 2, we all once walked in the, in the passions of our flesh, um, enslaved to the prince of the power of the air. The same, same context. That's his sphere and dominion. And his sphere and dominion is the sphere and dominion that brings down the, the power of death and sin and the law. So he's not sitting on a throne above it. He has the power of, of leading and enslaving people to sin, which brings on it death and judgment. Does that, that make sense? So it's not, it's not like his scepter that he wields as much as an influence that he exerts, which brings death and judgment on. Okay. No? Uh, <laughs> would... would uh... Has Satan then been given the power of death, though God has the power of life? Well, death is God's judgment, though. I mean, that, that's part of what I'm trying to avoid. I'm trying to avoid like a, a yin and yang. Um, g- God crushed Jesus on the cross. Satan didn't kill Jesus on the cross. The Father did. Um, and in one sense, no one killed Jesus. He, lay, he says, I lay down my life of my own accord. He voluntarily lays down his life. And so the father, we were even looking at this two or three weeks ago in James. I, the Lord God says, I make alive and I kill and I put to death. So, so death is God, the father on his throne of the universe, judgment on sin. It's not Satan's weapon. What, Satan is living in a moral universe where sinners reap upon them death. And he has the power to influence and lead sinners in that sin. That's how he has the power of death. He is given sway over the deathlings, the dead and dying ones, the, the worldlings. He's their god of this world in that sense. In that way, he, he has the power of death. But it's not his, death is not his judgment. That's what I'm trying to avoid. God makes alive and Satan kills. No, Jesus says he's a murderer from the beginning. God's not a murderer. God kills. God makes alive and he kills. Are you trying to get, I mean, is that getting where you're going or? Oh, well, I was. Okay. I'm just trying to sort it out in my own mind. Yeah. Uh, not, not so much go to a certain place, just get okay. clarity. Okay. Christina. Yeah, I'm kind of um, struggling with both of those topics. Um, mm. Never thought of. I've never thought of Jesus and sanctification, so I wanted to kind of go back to that. Mm. And then the second topic you guys are talking about as well, okay. Satan. Satan, could you say it again? Satan has what over death? Or? Well, the, he, the text, Hebrews says, he has the, the one who has the power over death, that is the devil. So okay. we're trying to understand what is the author of Hebrews saying when he says mm-hmm. Satan has the power over death. Um, yeah, I never thought about that's, that. That's what I'm trying to wrap my head around. So back to Jesus being sanctified. Um, This, again, is coming right out of the text. We're trying to make sense of starting back in verse 10. Um, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, 
and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For you sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. So Jesus is made perfect. Elsewhere in, in Hebrews, he learns obedience mm. and he is sanctified. We tend to only think of sanctified as the most common usage for Christians is progressive sanctification, where we become more and more morally like God, less and less sinful. But the word sanctify can be used in all sorts of contexts, not just moral context. Jesus is not sanctified, meaning he was sort of obedient and sort of good, and then he got really obedient and really good. Rather, he's more and more set apart. Mm -hmm. And I think the ultimate picture, and even the idea of being death on a cross, is you're suspended between heaven and earth. You're you're even separated from the ground. Mm -hmm. And that's part, I mean, that goes back to Deuteronomy. You don't leave a body hanging in a tree. Part of the curse is you, you are completely separated uh, and, and cut off. So Jesus does become sanctified in that sense, set apart, which is like the shovel is sanctified. It's not a moral shovel. It's a set apart shovel. It's a shovel you don't dig normal everyday holes with. But yes, oh, but even Jesus being made perfect is kind of like, wasn't he perfect before? If you mean in ethical perfection, yes. Was he the perfect sacrifice? Not until he took on flesh and blood. He wasn't. He had to do that to become the perfect sacrifice. So it's all how you use terms. Um, Jesus is perfect in regards to his perfection as God. He is not the perfect substitute until he takes on flesh. And we are to if the text didn't say it, I wouldn't be treading as close. The text says it, so like, okay, we've got to make sense of this. Oh, did you want to say more, Christina? Oh, oh, just one more. Oh, yeah. So is it a good thing to say maybe, um, as I'm hearing it, Jesus is sanctified and we're being sanctified? Is yes, that, but we've also way? been this – this gets back to the New Testament. There's a now and not yet in Paul. So he even opens 1 Corinthians to those who are sanctified who are being sanctified. Mm. So am I sanctified or am I being sanctified? The answer is yes. Am I saved or am I being saved? I can show you in the New Testament, yes. Um, Positionally, we're sanctified. And we're being sanctified in time and space. Both both are true of us. So, So the positional would be like in Ephesians 2. He raised us. He seated us at the right hand. In one sense, it, it's as good as done positionally. That's where I am. God's interacting with me and treating me as that, that's what's happening. But in a very real sense, I am not seated with Christ, raised into heaven right now. I'm sitting right here in the fireside room, right? Um, so so that's, that's part of the challenge is Paul's now and not yet at the same time, although this is Hebrews, not Paul. Yes. Okay. Other questions, thoughts with this? No, you need, the mic- you need the microphone. There's like five people who listen to this podcast, and they can't hear the question unless you ask. So Tim needs a microphone. That's why we don't uh, amplify the mic. It's purely for the recording process. Yeah, I was, I, I, that was my question. Thanks. Oh, no, just okay. Excellent. <laughs> uh, in, uh, in Hebrews 2.14, we're in, touching on what Pristina said. Mm. Uh, when it's talking about sin and death, I just want to be clear is sin and death those two words are they being used synonymously in other words we're saying that the devil doesn't have the power to physically kill but over sin he has the power of, and sin leading to death of course 
Is that the context it's being used in? Or well, well, Satan has the, in one sense, Satan has the power to kill. What we see in scriptures, he doesn't have the unilateral authority to kill. So Satan has to ask permission before he kills Job's kids. But he certainly kills Job's kids. Okay. So in the one sense, Satan can kill. On the other sense, God has not just said, kill whomever you want. Right. Um, so sin and death are united together because death comes through sin. Death is the judgment on sin. It's always meant to be understood as the judgment on sin, that that things die is the proof of sin. So that's the way in which they're linked together. It's uh, t- turn, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. The passage in 1 Corinthians 15, I think, really helps explain or make clear what's being said here. Um, Is there like bass going off or something? Like, what is that? <laughs> this too, this too shall pass. Okay. Verse 54, 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So there's the, there's the, the connection. And, and if you funnel that through Romans 5.12, the law pronounces people guilty of sin. And then with that pronouncement comes the judgment of death. So that's how the law, sin, and death work together. Um, so the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Satan is, is given the power over those things, I think, in so much as he is working that system. God has set up a system where those under the law, when they sin, are in death. And Satan has control and influence over those people who are sinners. So in that sense, he can work with... He's, it's not his system. He didn't set up the judgment of sin as death. He didn't establish that. He doesn't meter that out, ultimately. But he's given control within the sphere of those people who are guilty of sin and headed for death. That, that's my best understanding of how has he been given the power of sin and death. But Lee. Is it kind of like when we are born that we're kind of born into Satan's kingdom almost. Yeah. And we, yeah, because we're born literally, literally dead. Yeah. And the only way to get out of that is then by God's power and the right. Holy spirit drags you out of it, kicking and screaming. We're transferred usually. to a different domain. Right. Yeah. Let's right. go to Ephesians two, Ephesians two. Hopefully it'll clarify this somewhat. Um, we'll see. <clears throat> We were born into one domain and one sphere and under one earthly authority. And if you're saved, you've been transferred to a different domain, sphere, and authority. And the before and afters here in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, 
the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we were born dead under wrath and under the sway and dominion of the prince of the power of the air. And in that sense, I think Satan has the power of sin and death. Why? All these people who are guilty of sin and therefore headed towards death, he has power over. And as he's leading them, they're just racking up more sin and death. That's my best understanding of how he... Because it's not his system. It's not his ultimate judgment. He didn't make the rules. He's working within the system that exists. And he's been given dominion over those born into this darkness. Um, elsewhere, he's called the God of this world, even. Um, no, I, I know this is tough because different writers come at it differently, but um, I do want to avoid kind of the... Who's seen the line that's in the wardrobe or read the book? So Lewis is taking a medieval view that actually makes it Jesus is paying Satan. And that's what I'm trying to really avoid. And in the line that's in the wardrobe, for all of its positive imagery, Aslan's making the payment to the witch. He's satisfying her claim. He's satisfying her. He's paying a debt to her. And if you push it really far out, which some of the people in the Middle Ages did, you do end up with Satan sends people to hell and Satan condemns to death. And God, and then you have the sort of the yin and yang, the, the polarity. And that's, you know, I don't think biblical. So um, I want to make it clear. Yeah, that's why I'm p- possibly why I'm really emphasizing some of these things. Zeb. Well, that, that idea... <clears throat> Of the um, of Satan and the demons being in charge of hell, and they're like that's that's where all that medieval art of like Satan, like demons with pitchforks and things torturing people. It's like nobody's getting tortured by demons yeah. in hell. hell the demons are being tortured, tortured. Yeah. the same as us or the same as sinful humanity by yeah. God in hell. Hell was made to torture demons, and they just want as many to come with them as they can. Yes, absolutely. No, no, these notions that, like, hell is, is run by demons. No, hell is made for demons. Um, hell, hell was made for demons. Um, God does all the punishing and all the glorifying. It, again, it's not a swapping. Yeah, he's there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets to be God even in hell. Well, no, you get this notion, like, hell is like the one holdout, the people who still won't submit. No, every tongue confesses, every knee bows, even the ones broken by a rod of iron. There aren't people in hell still raising their fist at God. Just let me out of here. I'll... No. He, yeah, he is God everywhere, and every tongue confesses. Hell is filled with utterly defeated foes. They're not repentant, but I don't think they're rebellious like we are out here. You know? No? Well, I think they're, I think they're like gnashing. I'm picturing gnashing of teeth, lamenting, not repenting, brokenness, woe is me, as opposed to what we see at the end of Revelation, like, let's get an army together and fight God. That's the difference I'm talking about, Zeb. So I would take it as the sinner, the sinners in hell are for the rest of eternity racking up wrath on themselves, currently actively fighting and hating God. That they are, they are defeated, but they are still sinful and still racking up for the rest of eternity the 
the wrath that is being poured out on them. Hmm. In that, well, here's a question: Are they sanctified when they go to hell? Yeah. Are they made Are they made righteous yeah. in the same way that the yeah. redeemed are when sure. they go to heaven? No, no, of course not. So, then are they once they are broken? Yeah. Do they cease sinning? What law are they transgressing in hell? What What are the rules? What's the love statutes? the Lord your God with all the, your no, heart, no, soul, poss- mind? No, possibly we may be talking about things outside of our sphere. No, no, no. Oh, I, but, oh, but the I only s- the only point I'm trying to make is not whether or not people in hell continue to rack up wrath. And I'm just I'm just I'm, I'm going back to Romans five with where there is no law, there's no. I don't know if the people in hell are outside of law or not. I don't know if there's a law that rules in hell. As in is there rules. any is there anyone on earth today that is outside the law? Sin is in the world apart from the law. There was a time when there was no law. I'm, not, I'm quoting Romans 5. I'm not sure how this stuff works. You might be right. I'm just saying I don't know. The only point I'm trying to make is hell is not filled with a band of people saying just wait. Hell is a defeated and broken. They're not repentant. Yeah, and that's, they that's, are where, a, I'm, that's a, where I'm coming down. Is heads the, are down. The, the lack of repentance yes, yes. means that they are... Um, the, they are they are still actively sinning against God. They are they still hate God. they hate God. They, no, they hate God. No doubt. Yes, they and hate that's God. That, yes. that's my point is that as long as they are hating God, they are racking death or racking wrath up on themselves. Yeah. Okay, so hell is a place of punishment. So the judgment has already happened before they arrive in hell. In hell, they're being eternally punished. There's not time for them to be thinking together as a group, banishing, you know, trying to get an army against God or anything else. They're being punished. There's gnashing of teeth and wailing. Each individual there. There's There's not any any thinking or anything else happening they're just it's punishment agreed except you get some of the hyperbolic statements of the prophets and jesus that when the king of tyre is cast down into hell those in hell will say is this the great man like they're attributed with some level of thought and mockery now that entirely could be hyperbolic i don't i'm just saying i don't know the rules of hell i i don't know like are they aware the king of tyre just joined them or is it just the prophet putting words in would-be people's mouths to show the, 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 how fallen he is? But you get statements like that. You get um, the, the, uh, Jesus talking about how Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up in judgment against Capernaum. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what the rules are. I, I know that's eternal, conscious, yes, unending eternal torment. eternal punishment. Yes, I know that. Whether or not... There are books of records and law where transgressions are being recorded and wrath is being added. I know not. If they were doing in hell, what, if they were doing that here, they would be, certainly. I just don't know if the ledgers are open or if the books are closed, justice is done. It's sin apart from the law. It's sin. It's not being credited as sin because there's no books open. There's no, I don't know. I'm just saying that's a category Paul gives me in Romans 5.12. And I don't know if that category is operative or not. You can look at me. Strange. Um, that's fine. That's fine. Let me go to Romans 5. Let me show what I'm talking about. So you can see what I mean. The 
let me let me stress the point to you. Like, what was the very, 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 very first human sin? No, I, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I've heard that. No, no, I've heard that. The first, I've, my old pastor, John MacArthur, the first sin was the woman not treasuring God's word and, and taking it. In ones, so here's, here's the category we get. Look, so let, let me show you. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death spread through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So, so maybe I should rephrase my question because those answers might be right. What was the first creditable sin? Eating the fruit. And when the man did it, that's the first creditable f- sin. Until that happened, sin was in the world. Yes. Before that happened, sin was indeed in the world. So in one sense, we can look at Eve and Adam not properly receiving the command, not properly treasuring what God said and say, that's not good. But until... Until the law is broken, sin can't be added. The books aren't open. Sin cannot be added to their account. So in one sense, John MacArthur is absolutely right. The first sin is the first sinful act. The first creditable sin, the first thing that brought wrath was the breaking of law. So that's where I'm talking about categories where, sure, what you're describing, Zeb, in hell, I agree with you, what people will not be repentant, they still won't be loving the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind. If the books are indeed open, that'll be red- crediting up. Here's the question, has that passed? Is that done? Are we, is there, actually, sorry. Yeah. So that's my question in, in this is, I would strongly argue that the, the requirement of, of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength uh, is an eternal command, and that as long as there is existence, that is a requirement of of everyone. So even those in even those in hell are are. So held justice to that. will never be satisfied. The, the scales are never balanced because even after the final judgment, there's still injustice that needs writing. That's well, what, that's but what then I'm the argument about. then, then that leads about. right into annihilationism. No. Yeah. No, if, the if penalty there's... is eternity. The penalty, like you, you get your day in court and your record of sins, and the judge sentences you to eternity in hell. And then after that, so in one sense, justice is settled. Like the, a just sentence has been given out for your crime. It's eternal conscious torment in hell. After that fact, new crimes are committed. Now we have injustice. That's what I'm nervous. That's why I don't know. That's what I'm nervous about. That's the only reason I'm like, I don't know. Um, Whether or not, and I'm only questioning whether or not it's creditable, whether it's reckonable sin, not the state of their hearts. They don't love God. They're not repentant. They're not remorseful. I agree with all that. I don't know if after the final judgment, sins are being reckoned or not. That's what I'm saying. Lee, Lee knows, though. Lee knows. No, I don't know, but I do have the question. I have often heard people say that uh, if you die without Christ, you face eternity without God. Has everybody heard that ever? Yes. Or, well, and no, so, but, but God biblical, is in hell? Yes, God's in hell. So you're not really... So let me, let me explain. There, yeah. there is biblical precedent for this. Talk about eternal separation, outer darkness. There are pictures of hell as separation, alienation, alonement, right? 
But then you get Psalm 139. If I descend into the furthest, if I descend in the deep, behold, there you are. Let's go to Revelation. God is present in hell as judge in fury and holiness in wrath. God is not present in hell in mercy, kindness, grace, long-suffering. So all the parts that make God approachable in Christ are not present in hell. Um, So Revelation chapter, um, I think, 7. Hold on. Um, uh, Or is it 6? Where is it? Here. Mm, Where is it later? Do you know where it is in Revelation 7? Okay. In the presence of the Lamb. There, there we go, 14. Wasn't even close. Okay. Um, and Zeb, to be clear, all I'm saying is I'm a little uncomfortable either way, and I don't know. I don't know. I'm also uncomfortable with cosmic, like God's will is still being thwarted. Wrath is, the people in heaven are crying, oh Lord, when will you judge those people racking up new sins in hell? All the stuff we see when people sin and there isn't a recompense. If they're paying the recompense from the... After the final judgment, are there still things worthy of judgment? That's, I guess, what I'm not sure. And I'm only saying, I don't know. I'm not saying you're wrong, but there, there is something that f- seems weird the other way, which is that notion. The people in hell, sovereign Lord, when will you judge the denizens of hell who still rack up wrath? That, that's, I don't know. Tim knows. But let, me, let me show you the passage in Revelation 14. I thought this was going to be a happy Christmas ABF. We're just talking about hell the whole morning. Okay, great. Hell, 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 okay. hell, hell. Okay. But, uh, so uh, I wanted to, I'm sorry, I don't know the lady's name up front. Linda. Linda. Uh, something she said reminded me, and I was trying to find it, and I think most of what I was looking for is in Matthew chapter 8, where it refers to hell as a place of darkness or cast in the outer darkness, and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which suggests that, you're not in a group of your buddies around a campfire right, in a right. lit cavern. You're in darkness and you're alone. Yeah. And so the idea that we're, you know, in groups of of people. They're not formulating plots and conspiracies. Yeah, trying to mount an army. I, I right. agree with her. There's not there's right. not an occasion for that, that we're alone. We're in the dark. Well, I hope it's not we. Uh, that you're alone. <laughs> you're in the darkness. And, and you're there to be punished. You're not there yeah. to formulate a new battle plan, so to speak. So, so Revelation 14, this is the basis on the presence of God in hell league. And another, starting in nine, another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength, 1410, we're at, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. So, God is present. God is God of hell. He's Lord of hell as well. Um, He's God of the whole thing. It's not like here's Satan's kingdom and here's God's kingdom. God is God overall. And... So when the Bible speaks of hell as separation and outer darkness, it's separation from God. Okay. 
We only draw near to God clothed in Christ. If we were to draw near to God apart from being clothed in Christ, it would be like drawing near to the sun. We'd be consumed. And so God's present in hell like that without the mediation of Christ. And so in a very real sense, he's not there like you want him to be there. <laughs> like God's presence in hell is the terror of hell. It's not as though God made a really, really sophisticated and nasty torture chamber. He, our, when Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire, it's in reference to his wrath and judgment. I would say the chief terror of hell is the presence of God doing what he must do to the presence of sin. If I said a moment ago, it's like, let me give you the best analogy I could think of would be if, if you took anything we had and brought it into the sun, near the sun, it would consume. What happens when God resurrects the righteous and the unrighteous both with indestructible bodies and then proceeds to destroy them for all of eternity? It'd be like a non-burnable object. Just it, that's, that's the idea. I mean, that's my picture of the idea is that it's precisely God that is the dread terror of hell, his holiness, his perfect justice. And, and part of this, the fact that you know it's right, you know it's fitting. There aren't going to be people saying this isn't fair and I'm just not, not fair and my lawyer messed up. It's going to be people fully owning their own guilt. They will know this is just and right. That's part of what makes it so terrible. Um, there won't be people... <laughs> sneering and claiming injustice every tongue is going to confess yes don um a couple things uh sorry oh um as far as uh, being sanctified it seems to me romans 9 says that, that uh those who are his children are set apart for for glorification mm-hmm. But there were also vessels that were set apart for dishonor. Yeah. They were sanctified. Yeah. Set apart for hell. Yeah. Yeah. No, hell, hell is where God sets apart vessels of wrath. Right. You, you, you get singled out and go over here. Yeah. So in that, that's what I'm saying. Usage of the, the set apart picture is going to depend on usage. There are, there are vessels that are sanctified to be, you know, um, what's, what's the word? Um, Bed pots. <laughs> that's that's the picture I think he's using is is uh, chamber pots. There there are chamber pots and there are fine china. Mm-hmm. Both are set apart for a function, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's that's I think the type of dual usage of set apart that you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if this is another bend in the road, but <laughs> um, I had the passage here. I went to anyway. Uh, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Is that was that true be, only because of sin, or when Adam and Eve were created as flesh and blood, they still wouldn't would not have? Was there some? Well, Jesus, Jesus, when Jesus says flesh and blood cannot inherit, he's speaking in at the time of a fallen world. We're not talking about whatever could have been. The, the fall is now assumed. Jesus right. is speaking from within a fallen world. And in that situation, certainly flesh and blood, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Um, so I don't think he's saying there's no possible scenario or time or place where that could have happened. Right now, this can't happen, is, I think, is all I take that t- to say or mean. Um, okay. Ten minutes. Deb, then Linda. 
Tim, Deb, then Linda. Uh, well, I was thinking of uh, what we had learned about in our Bible study um, with the women, and as far as Ethan, uh, Zeb's, um, the discussion you had with Zeb, it's Re- Revelation twenty, eleven. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then it goes on to tell about the new heaven and the new earth. (coughs) Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. Okay. I think. I think the question is, and I don't know, is, can God punish sins apart from judging sins? So what I'm seeing, Zeb, is these people do things. If there's a record kept, and there's a day where that record is read, a verdict's given, and then a punishment sentenced the sins that people commit after that will never be judged in that way. So maybe that, that's, all, that's, that's where I'm looking at saying, so I don't know how it works. There isn't another day of judgment where the books get opened and here's what you did for the last 8 million years in hell. That's where I'm like, I don't know if that type of thing happens. Um, it might. I just don't know. What? No, but I get his point that, not logically, but like, is it not wrong for them to rebel against God and hate him? Of course it is. So, so the category I'm using is the category Paul gives in 5.12. There's a time where sins in the world, but it's not reckoned. It's possible. I'm saying it's possible. I don't know that God isn't reckoning new sin to their account. The books aren't writing down these things, even though absolutely it's not right or good. Siobhan! Oh, I was just thinking, um, could it be as simple as... God has judged, is judging, and will judge. So. Well, well, he is. The point is, in Revelation, all the deeds are past tense. Now, could it be it includes their feet? All I'm going to again, I don't know. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. Um, I'm not even totally disagreeing with anybody. I'm just, I don't know. And there's a sense in which, like, I don't need to know. Like, I don't know what the, the, the rules, the fine-tuned rules of hell are. Um, the yeah. secret things. There you go. There you go. Okay, five minutes. Any last thoughts? We're going to finish our morning, Christmas morning talking about hell. We, we've pretty much done that um, without, without, <laughs> without. Yeah, no, no. Certainly, certainly. Yes, microphone. So as a question, I can't find Don. What were you talking, what part of Romans did you say? Because I think I've always misunderstood this verse now. Um, let me. Which part? 21. 
21. Okay. So actually really starting in 19. The paragraph starting in 19. Okay. So you're saying that um, the honorable use and the dishonorable use. So the dishonorable use is uh, resulting in hell, correct? Let's just read it. Okay. I I think that's plainly what it means. Okay. You will say, oh man, why do you answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory? So okay. God, there's one lump. Different vessels are made with different purposes, both prepared beforehand, both set apart for their f- purpose, ultimately. Okay. Is I that- hadn't remembered the following verses, and that's very clear. I was getting it confused with 1 Corinthians 12, Okay. when it talks about um, the different parts of the body. Ah. And so, when he was yeah, talking yeah. about hell, I was like, wait a second. But now, uh, no, after no, no. finding yes. the verses that you were talking no, the, about. The contrast here would be something like, you make Thank spittoons you. and bedpans, and you make fine china. And you can do both out of the same lump of clay. Um, in, in their context, what would an honorable use be, and what would be a dishonorable use? You know, um, Yeah, I'll repeat it for the for the uh, <laughs> recording. He's making the toilets and the bedpans out of the same lump as the fine china for the benefit of the fine china, so yeah. that the f- fine china can be thankful and glorify yeah. the potter that they are not the bedpans. Yeah, let me let me close on this. This is this is very much piggybacking. I gotta find it. I'll, if you if you're on Facebook, I'll post it this week. MacArthur's got a message that R.C. Sproul says is the best message on the church and election he's ever heard. I got to find it. It's at the League of Near Conference. And so I'm very much piggybacking off of that. But if I could take what I was saying this morning about the love gift that we're caught up in, here's if you really want to frame all of human, all, forget human, all history and all of God's plan, I think could be brought into a father who is pleased with and proud of his son and then sets in motion a plan with which to demonstrate the glories and the perfections of his son and to honor his son, which necessitates an audience, which necessitates a, uh, a problem to overcome. And so all of this is to demonstrate something. God wants to put on display as a proud father his son. So he gives his son a redeemed people on condition the son redeems them. All of this ultimately to get to an end game where the universe, an audience has been made, because this is the language here, um, God wants to demonstrate, and you only demonstrate to third parties, right? You only make a show of something to an audience, and it needs to be an audience. His, his wrath, his justice, his holiness, and his son's saviorhood and, and long-suffering. And all of human history and everything that exists serving this grand purpose where a redeemed humanity is gathered around and beholding the glory of the son for his praise and glory as, as best as I could sum it up. Yeah. That's the entire point of everything and, and everything ultimately is serving and moving towards that grand end and goal. Um, 
And in that context, we're just along for the ride in a sense. God didn't make us because he was lonely. God, the father wanted to honor his son. And we exist to be redeemed. And for that reason, he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Okay, we're done. Thank you.